Well, this morning is a great morning, and uh, the last couple of months, or this month, we've been talking about, really, which is only last week, uh, talking about purpose and calling, and how many people know purpose and calling are really, really important? And today I want to talk on something that uh, is a bit more specific, but it's the key that holds it all together. But in the process, I want to open today by thanking and honoring uh, my mum and dad, my grandfather and my grandmother, who invested into my life, who believed in me when there was not a lot to believe in. You know, when you're first starting out in life. Uh, my football coach, a guy called Don Batty, uh, Clark Taylor, my first senior pastor, Dr. Ed Cole, uh, David Pastor David McDonald, Pastor Wayne Alcorn, um, Pastor Michael Murphy, Pastor Alan Wills, uh, Keith Campbell, really want to thank him. He took a risk, didn't he? Uh, um, believing in me. And uh, there's other people like Pastor Graham McAtani, and the list actually goes on of people that have believed in me, that have helped me get to where I am at today, and how many people know there's more? I want to talk about today, uh, we're not meant to be alone, and we're not meant to do this alone, and how much we really need people, and today we want to talk about the hows and whys of living life, and in turn making less mistakes, how to live and how to know God, and understand how He intended humans to live. And uh, how to get free, perhaps, of your fallen nature that essentially is negative. Our passion in our church is to make disciples. We're turning this morning to the book of Luke, Luke 10. Uh, Our passion in our church is to make disciples. And making disciples essentially means a person who's a fully devoted follower of Christ. Someone who's fully devoted. So our preaching and our communication may be more passionate and more enthusiastic or more instructional or directional or opportunities to express your passion, your love for God, about what you've just learned about God and how good He is. But essentially, the idea of of discipleship is the process that I like in modern-day terminology is the difference between a tour guide and a travel agent. A travel agent is usually someone you just give money to and thank you very much and they wave you goodbye and you may never see them again, where a tour guide is the person who goes on the journey with you. And uh, I believe discipleship is more like a tour guide than a travel agent. And yet sometimes we have a perception or some people have a perception that that's, uh, it's more like the travel agent sort of philosophy or process. But if we're going to fulfill the ministry and the purpose that God has in our life, one of the things we're going to need is someone to disciple us, someone to help us along that journey. It's one thing to have a dream, but it's another thing to help, have someone in your life to help you fulfill that dream. And, and I believe that's very, very important to, to have, and it's probably one of the things that uh, is the uh, missing ingredient, I think, in a lot of people's lives, while they probably don't go all the way because they don't allow enough people or the right people to get around their life to coach them into position, to help them keep going, not just in discouragement, but even in encouragement. Let's take a look at how Jesus did it, because that's a good example, isn't it? Luke 10, verse 17, tells us uh, about Jesus. And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. If you go across to verse 10, 1, It says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face to every city and every place where he himself was about to go. Which is a really interesting story because Jesus has sent people, his disciples, into places he's about to go. Sometimes I think people think, oh, Jesus just went there first. But he sent others to prepare a way, to prepare the soil or whatever, often 
when he went in, it was already a prepared place, which is really interesting. Here we have it. Let's go back to the story in verse 18. And he said to these disciples, um, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Isn't that sort of an interesting conversation to have? Imagine meeting somebody or talking to somebody or your boss at work or someone that's over you or someone you're in authority to, and they're saying, whatever happens, nothing's going to hurt you. (laughs) Okay. There's going to be serpents and there's going to be scorpions. I don't know if you've ever experienced serpents and scorpions recently, Uh, but I'm going to give you authority over them. It's like, really? Seriously? How are you going to do that? How's that going to work? What's going to be the process of that actually? Don't you think that's an interesting conversation to actually have with somebody? And Jesus sort of captured it by saying, it's okay, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. How many people know we're talking about a spiritual truth here? Uh-huh. And uh, Jesus has sent these disciples out in, uh, in many cases, and they're coming back rejoicing and very excited that even the demons are subject to us in your name, Jesus. They're very excited, and Jesus had to correct them. He had to adjust them. He had to be able to say, hang on a minute, guys. You've got it right, but you've got the motivation bit wrong. And he tells them this. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this fact that the spirits are subject to you, verse 20, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. It's quite a powerful truth. I could imagine if you were a person who weren't being discipled correctly or not being discipled, you could go out like Jesus had sent them out. I'm going into town to witness the people. I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus and get it wrong. Just not quite get it right. Just miss a bit. And they came back and report back to Jesus and said, hang on a minute, it's really exciting. Demons are going everywhere. And Jesus said, hey, do not get excited in that fact. Get excited in the fact. He's talking about their motivation. That your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. What's he saying essentially? People say to me often, Pastor Stuart, I'm not sure, even as a Christian, whether heaven is real or not. I don't know whether, I hope, I wish, I pray, but when push comes to shove, I'm not sure. And what Jesus is doing here is he's teaching us, even through these scriptures, of the confidence that we can actually have, the assurance we can have of salvation. What he's saying to them is this, he's saying, if your name wasn't written in heaven, you wouldn't be able to do what you've been doing. You get this? You would not be able to do this because it's the authority that I give you that's a heavenly authority, not a man's authority. And yet oftentimes, can I ask you the question, even as disciples or as Christians today, as believers today, when was the last time you cast out a devil? Because it gives us assurance, Jesus said, of salvation. So therefore, sometimes when we don't activate the truth, activate the Word of God in our life, therefore, we start to lose a confidence that God wants us to have. I know sometimes, you know, Jane and I as pastors have been invited over people's houses and sometimes we go into their house and there's oppression, the children can't sleep and some things are happening and something, uh, you know, been into houses where people have been murdered and all those sort of things, you know, and the oppression that's there and the, it's just, the, it's, not, uh, it's not on the walls, but it's in the atmosphere. You know what I'm talking about? And you can sense that there's a oppression or a sickness in the house, infirmity, or things that are actually in the home uh, residing there. And to walk into those homes and sort of say, hey, you, out. 
And many times uh, we've gone into teenagers' bedrooms because and, and, parents have said, my teenagers are just stupid and they're going wild and stuff like that. We've walked into teenage bedrooms and all of a sudden posters will start falling off the wall and beds will start shaking and things will fly out from under the bed and all these different things will start to happen. You go, whoa, this is exciting. And Jesus is saying, don't get excited about this. But rejoice because your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Uh huh. But if we don't activate our faith, can you hear what I'm saying today? If we don't activate our faith, we don't sow and we don't in turn reap what God would actually have us or reveal to us in this reality. And so what we need, I wouldn't be able to do this, you wouldn't be able to do this if it wasn't for being discipled. It takes somebody, I, missed, I read our little list a moment ago, but it takes somebody to come into my life to help me, coach me, lead me to understand the details of my faith and the outworking of that. And in that, many times I might need to be adjusted, I might need to be corrected, I might need to, you know, young people today are very hard to correct because they take correction as rejection. It makes it very hard to to work with some people even as they've They've learned that, that as a principle and a concept that you can't correct them because they, you're rejecting me. I'm not rejecting. We're just trying to help correct you. And, and the other part is that sometimes we don't want to live under authority. I don't, no one's going to tell me what to do. And so we reject authority. And in authority is really what Jesus is talking about. The whole point of this is authority. I've given you authority to cast out these things. And so if we try and avoid authority, um, we don't have any authority. Because to the degree you're under authority is to the degree you have authority. That's sort of how it works. It's sort of a process. And, and I suppose for me, when I was growing up, my spiritual life uh, was, I was always around big thinkers. Today, I just want to talk about me um, for a minute, the most important subject. No. Uh, but yeah. some people say, why don't you talk about other stories and say, well, if I talked about you, you'd probably get offended. <laughs> Tell me all your secrets, secrets. Uh, but, you know, when I was uh, first got saved, my senior pastor was an incredibly large thinker. Um, we had already had a big church, and yet oftentimes he'd go down and he'd go, I'll show you this. And he rolled out these big plans, and uh, we had the land for it, and he, he had a 40,000-seat auditorium planned out, designed, like architectural plans. Had it all laid out, 40,000 seats. You know, it's massive, and he took us down sometimes to the land, and it was just bushes and, you know, gullies and stuff like that. He said, this is where it's going to go, right in here, like this, and we're going to fill this out area. Um, you know, being around, we had, in our children's church there, we had about 800, 900 children in our children's church sort of program. We had a school, we had a primary school, a secondary school, we had tennis courts, swimming pool, and all of those different things, had an international Bible college. Had a teacher's training college. We used to train teachers for teaching and education in different areas, of state schools, Christian schools, and stuff like that. We had a childcare center, which was an outstanding childcare center. We had a Bible college there, which was an international Bible college. We had the biggest Toyota bus fleet in the Southern Hemisphere uh, that was there. Uh, we had media and film crew with recording studios. We had a retirement village that was there also. And uh, we had a, a, for our Bible college, International Bible College, we had a two-story accommodation block just to accommodate uh, all the students who came from overseas for college or, or even ones in Australia. And the list went on of that. So I came out of bigness. I was discipled out of bigness. 
And the important thing is that I was discipled. Whether it's big or small is irrelevant. But when you're discipled out of bigness, you do become big. You think differently. You act differently. You're attracted to that. You're not threatened by bigness. You know, my senior pastor never said good day to me today. You know, it's a bit hard when there's 6,000 people in the church, you know, to, to feel it's all about me. <laughs> but you know what? One of his disciples did. One of his disciples did. And to me, that was just as good as him saying it, to, to do that. And that's why it's important even in our church that, you know, Pastor Jane, Pastor Josh, and Pastor Heidi and, and the other leadership team are given just as much as respect as you would give me. Why? You know why? Because it's good for us. It's good for us to have respect and be respectful to, to people in life, isn't it? It's good, good to be respectful uh, and, and treat people a certain way. The realization that Jesus had, we just read about it, he, Jesus couldn't do everything. He had disciples. He trained up people. He equipped people to be able to help. And the process of the calling and growing is that God called them to be part of a discipleship process. Not only that they would be discipled, but they'd be equipped to disciple other people and help other people. And so you realize that what happened for me is that I was flat out looking after myself. I got born again, and then I got around people who were used to caring for other people. And all of a sudden, not just one or two, you know, you got 800 in your children's church. You, it's, it's, it's a big process Sunday morning. It's a, it's a lot of people. It's one of the bigger churches in Australia, just in a children's church. You had to be around, you had to think big, you had to work big. It wasn't just about little Johnny, you had 50 little Johnnies who were challenging, you know what I mean? And you had this, and then you had, you know, 400 want to go to the toilet at one time or something. It's like, you know, this is a big process, you know. But being around bigness grows you big. And, and there's certain things that are about bigness that are really, really good. It's really healthy. But why, is it, why is it healthy to be around bigness? Because when you're around bigness, it means more influence that you actually have. I mean, I'm only one speaker, but if we had five or 10,000 people here, we could still influence in that way, true? It's, we could just, I could just preach to three people. Uh, or you could have thousands and stuff like that and care for thousands. But what I'm saying is that when I got born again, God increased my capacity to care for people. But it was through discipleship. Because left alone, I would only become just a, I don't know, what do you call that, like a geeky Christian and just look after my world and anyone else that came into it and then, you know, like you're in, you're out, see you later. Rather than going, now how can I increase my capacity in caring for people? And God will do that. But it comes, I believe, through discipleship. And Jesus' attitude was to teach and train them. And he says, go and do it. Then he says, come back and report in. And then he says, in that process, you get adjusted and then you go out again. And be able to do that. That's the process that we do. We do it with our children, hopefully, don't we? We do it with a lot of things. And Jesus was just doing it here. And it, it helped me grow. It helped me grow in lots of, lots of different ways. Today we have a challenge in, in life. We have uh, a life where people, I was looking it up this morning in research, where one, uh, uh, one person out of six suffers a mental depression, mental disorder, or anxiety. One person out of six in Australia suffers these challenges in life. And I believe a lot of it would be avoided if it was for discipleship, where people be discipled. And a healthy place to be discipled is in the life of the church to be productive in the world. Now, the challenge is in church life, a lot of people can get hurt. Why they get hurt often is because their expectation is greater than the ability of the person to deliver. 
because they think church is perfect. That's where I'll help out. I'll never get hurt. And they get hurt. Then they think, I'm not part of this anymore. And so, therefore, they depart and, and, and become bitter and, and, and disappointed sort of people. And that's very, very sad to do that. Uh, but that's where discipleship comes in. It says, hey, come back. Come back here. I just want to talk to you for a minute. I want to talk to you. Hey, there's three sides to every story. Oh, what do you mean? There's your opinion. There's their opinion. There's the truth. Unless both of us look at the truth, we could, could believe a lie and work through. Then you go, oh, there's three sides to every coin. You notice that? There's one side, there's the other side, and there's the edge. <laughs> and when we learn like this and grow like this, and sometimes it's, it's like a hammered a little bit, not hammered as in hammered, but reminded, it really helps us grow. It really helps us grow because how many people are so glad they just didn't give up when they got hurt? How many people realize on the other side of the hurt, <laughs> this great blessing that you could have missed out on if you would have given up in a hurt? And what you needed sometimes is not just encouragement, what you needed is someone to correct you and adjust you and believe in you and help you. The disciples weren't people who just were told information to do stuff. Jesus believed in his disciples. That's the difference. He believed in them. When I was a young bloke, um, my, uh, this is, you know, part of me, but when I was a young bloke, my mom and dad used to work very, very hard. They had businesses and they used to work very hard. So I was uh, quite a sporting sort of guy. I got involved with sport and I was very good at sport and uh, was in a lot of country teams and, you know, all this sort of stuff. But my mum and dad never came to one of my events, not one of them. And I had to, I came to a place where I was becoming a bit strange about that. My grandfather, he came along to those events, maybe because he wasn't working and he had free, well, he was working, but he had free time to be able to do that. And I realized that it's very easy in life, and I'm using that as an example, to, to build a hurt upon a hurt upon a disappointment upon a hurt upon a hurt upon a disappointment upon a broken expectation. And before long, it's called anxiety. Before long, I can't think correctly. Before long, I can't, I can't act correctly. And in the Bible, and this is where a pastor helped me, and I could mention each pastor you know, Pastor David McDonald extended grace to me, and I understood what it was to work under grace. So when I became a senior pastor, I could extend grace. When my father was passing away, he said, Pastor Stewart, I release you to go and be with your dad, because I didn't know he was going to die this day or the next day, I'd live forever or, or die. So he said, I release you to go to Melbourne and sit with your dad, and you love him and care for him. As long as you need to be there, you can be there. I release you from, you know, pastoring over that time and I realized that is his extended grace to me to do that when he needed me you know but now I can extend grace to others because I like that you, you know what I mean and so what I learned in discipleship which was hard at the time it wasn't a pleasant experience if you know what I mean but God taught me the power of discipleship and the power of serving someone and being under authority so I could be in authority so I could feel, I didn't feel, I didn't, I wasn't there feeling guilty about being there or, you know, oh, you know, they probably really need me. I was there. I felt empowered to be there because again, what was it? The motivation was right. It wasn't like, oh, you know, all the demons are subject to us. We're really excited. No, no, no. Don't get excited about that. So he was able to correct me. I could go through all the different ones that to do that. But what one pastor taught me was this, and many of them did, that when you go a certain way in life, and certain things happen in life. In the Old Testament, there was a really great thing they did. They built altars. 
And what they did is they, they went through an experience and they were about to go through another experience. They had built an altar to God. They put a sacrifice on the altar and they stood there and maybe got a few rocks and put it up there and they built an altar. And today we don't build physical altars as much as we build spiritual altars in our heart. And at those altars, they actually stood there and they said, God, thank you. Thank you, you know, the, the hard times were hard, but God, we thank you. We, never, we always felt you were with us and you're directing us and guiding us. And, and today we build an altar of thanksgiving. Build an altar of thanksgiving. When my dad was passing away and passed away in, in that time, I built an altar of thanksgiving. You're listening today. An altar of thanksgiving. You say, God, thank you for this man's life. Thank you for it. Thank, you know what it did? It delivered me of, of extended grief. You know, some people can grieve for 20 or 30 or 50 years. Some people just, the Jews were given a very uh, limited time frame to grieve. That certain process of grieving, we don't do it, we just let you go. <laughs> and it really helped me because I built an altar of thanksgiving to God and that healed me and delivered me and freed me to move on. And then I built another altar one day when I went through some challenges in life and I was getting depressed and I built an altar of promise. God, you have given me promises over my feelings, over my emotions, God. And I built this altar of promise in my heart and it healed me and delivered me and brought me to the next chapter when I could build another altar. But see, the challenge, friend, is if we don't build altars and we don't act spiritually in our situations in life, then line upon line, things just build up. Hurt, disappointment, struggles, opinions, thoughts. Someone says something to you. Before long, you're way out of the picture. And, and it's easy for that to sneak up on you. And then all of a sudden you get to the place where your backpack is just too heavy to carry. <laughs> and it's called breakdown, it's called struggling, it's called depression, it's called all of those things because we haven't applied the biblical truth of building altars along the journey. And uh, you're with me today. It, it, sometimes you can build an altar of worship and praise and adoration to God. I would not have, I would not have learned that by preaching, I would only have learned that through discipleship. Because why? Because sometimes you can preach stuff and, and you're like, oh, that was good, you know. But we don't apply it. Where a disciple comes up and says, are you applying that? You thought it was good, but are you putting that into action? It's not entertainment. This is to help you. I had a guy a while back came into my office and it was a Tuesday and he, he um, wanted some help. And I started sharing the message that I shared on Sunday with him to help him understand something that he needed to understand. <laughs> Can you just stop that? I don't need any preaching information. I need real information. <laughs> Hang on a minute. <laughs> what we talk about on Sunday is real information. <laughs> it, it's to help you grow and learn. But friend, if you don't learn how to build altars in your marriage, and you might build 50, you might build 500, you might build five, and build those altars. As I say, they're not physical altars. They're heartfelt altars. And say, God, we build an altar. We've been through a troubled time. We build it. But God, we, we just thank you that we're still alive and breathing. <laughs> we thank you we're here. And we don't know where here is. But God, we thank you we're here. We thank you you're going to take us forward. And this altar, God, we're building is altar of, uh, let's make it an altar of thanksgiving <laughs> and promise. <laughs> Call it what you like. And, and, and build that. And you're able to build it and put a sacrifice. They put a sacrifice on there. Sometimes these altars can cost you money. Sometimes they, they do. I think if they don't cost you anything, they're not worth anything. Uh-huh. I remember in, in, can I just 
<laughs> I said, can I be honest? And it's like, all the other times, weren't you being honest with us? <laughs> I remember what my, one of my spiritual dads, oh, this isn't in my notes, one of my spiritual dads taught me this, when you leave your first love, you don't lose it, you leave it. You've got to go back to where, you, where did you leave it? And Jesus said, I've got this against you. You've left your first love. And how many people know, I said it a moment ago, that Sunday's information is very practical for Monday, you know. And, and it says, uh, when you leave your first love, Jesus didn't just jam your hands in the till. He says, I'll give you three ways. <laughs> three ways. <laughs> there you go. Three ways. Boxers' hands don't always work after many years. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll give you three ways to, to get your first love out. First thing you do is do first works again. Do those first things you did. When, you, when Jane and I were married, I can't remember how many years, I felt first love leaving. I went, oh, this is not good. What do I do? I've got to do first things again. Well, what do I got to do? She's telling me recently she'd like a really nice car. Okay. <laughs> first love. You've got to listen. Uh-huh. You know, Jesus talked about that. You know, if you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a stone. You know what I mean? listening <laughs> and, and I went out and I looked at the, I looked around fished around and found this little convertible car four-wheel drive convertible I think it was cost me $18,000 and bought it for her uh-huh people well you know you don't have to do that next time I felt first love leaving I went out I was listening to her she wanted a new guitar so I went and spent $2,000 or something on a new guitar for her but each time it restored first love you know what happens next time you, you, you think you're leaving first love if you're a guy, you know what you do? You go, whoa, I can't leave this first love. I've got to keep it alive. <laughs> Cost me a fortune last time. <laughs> so after a while, you train yourself not to leave first love. <laughs> it's the cost, the value that you put on things, isn't it? What I value on Jane, way over the cost of those things. And as I said the other Sunday, a lot of guys say, well, I'm not doing that, you know. I say, well, you've got to do first works again. Take it to the movies and buy her milkshakes and do all those sort of things with her and all those things you did to first win her heart and stuff like that. And most guys will say, you know how much that's going to cost? And I go, well, you never cared then. Why do you care now? That's how far you've fallen. Uh-huh. You've got to learn to restore it and, and keep first love alive and keep it fresh and keep it happy always. And praise God the way and then Jesus said, when you do that, you go, look at me. And Jesus goes, no, the next step to restoring first love is repent. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, sorry, God, I'm being an idiot. <laughs> She's enjoying the car and I'm going, I'm an idiot. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's not, anyway, we know what repent is. It's not repentance to nail anybody. It's repentance into freedom and into liberty and understanding. And so I learned these things because I was a, attached to a church. I was attached to discipleship where I, allowed, where I allowed people to disciple me and to train me and equip me. And this is the difference in church life today. We have two types of people in every church, the disciples and the crowd. The disciples and the crowd. The disciples and the crowd. And hopefully the crowd is transforming, 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 is that a word? Could be. Could be. Someone Google that. We could make a word up. Uh, into being someone who's discipled. 
and these things that are so necessary in discipleship to be healed and to be delivered of some things. As I said before, I had to be healed and delivered of those things that my parents hadn't abounded me when I needed them. And I came to the realization, no, 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 they were working hard to provide a lifestyle for me that I could actually enjoy. And brought peace over my heart to go, they were just providing a lifestyle for me to actually enjoy. And it gave me great joy to spend time with my granddad. And, and, and he learned, and I learned from him because you always learn a lot from your granddad. Dads can say a lot of words. Granddad's only got to say three and you go, I got it. <laughs> Isn't that true? They just got away like that. And, and so if you don't go into that discipleship process, I think oftentimes you put a limit around your life. You put a restriction around your life. So my question again to you today is who's discipling you? Who is discipling you? Um, Many years, Dr. Cole, who uh, helped me walk, and when my dad passed away, he helped me walk and and talk and understand what it was to be a man. And uh, he, he was taught me that, you know, you don't have to be proud and arrogant, but you don't have to be a sook either. There's a place in the middle where you learn to be a man and you learn to, to tough up to things and shape up to things. You don't get angry and frustrated. You can, but you learn to handle things as a man would handle things. You know, girls, you can just talk about, you talk amongst yourself. We talk a man to man here for a minute. But you learn how to do that. You learn how to not be angry and frustrated. You learn how to be able to handle those things. And so it's very, very important in being able to understand who's discipling you how are they discipling you and how are they helping you grow in such a real way? And your acceptance of that in, their own, in your own life, are you accepting that or are you just, oh, they're just annoying. They're just telling me all the time I've got to pull my socks up. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you do. Maybe they're telling you you're a good person. Maybe you are. Maybe you're a really good person. You just can't look in the mirror properly, perhaps, Pastor Heidi, be able to do that. It's very important. So today, we're just going to wrap up. Where people come along and try and help you, disciple you. You never know when it's going to happen. How to look after your children better. How to save money. How to have a great attitude and relationship with people. Uh, People are going to disciple you. How to tell great dad jokes like Pastor Stewart. (laughs) Stuff like that. Really important stuff. A guy called Peter Daniels taught me how to stay motivated all the time. I'm glad I sat under Peter. I'm glad I listened to that. I'm glad I sat under someone else that taught me how to pray. I'm glad I sat under people who taught me how to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm glad that those people, I could sit down with them and ask them questions, not just in a preach, but a personal time. I used to find that I used to go out and uh, find business people, even non-Christian business people, and I said, can I have five minutes of your time? Most people will say yes to that. High-flying, very wealthy people. Just give me five minutes of your time. I'd say, tell me, how do you manage your personal life and your family life? How do you get from nothing to something? How did you do that? How did you make something, a multi-million dollar company out of nothing? And usually find five minutes goes very quick and I'm there for nearly half an hour, an hour just listening to their story, listening to them talk about themselves. But I'm taking notes. I'm writing it down. Because I want to grow and I want to learn. And I want to be somebody that can influence more people every day through what I do. And I know it's going to take money to do it. 
So I listen to a business person, oh, you know, it's all about money. Well, try and live without it. <laughs> and to sit down and learn from people is a fantastic thing. I love learning. I love growing. And there's a lot of people like today in church, we go in the cafe in a minute, there's all sorts of people here. Steve, a nuclear scientist. You know, understanding all those things. You've got different people in the military and different people are doctors and nurses. And it's not a time to go to Dr. Joshua and go, I've got a sore leg. You know, what do you think? I Not a time to do that. <laughs> or go and talk to Doug about, i got a problem with my kid at school. What do you think I should do? No, 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 no. But tell me your testimony. Tell me how you found Jesus. Tell me about Jesus in your life and what great things he's done. That's a good question. There goes an hour there, isn't it? Father, we come today and we realize that Jesus couldn't do everything. He had disciples. People that he'd trained up. They weren't having a go. These people were faced with real situations, real people. And Jesus told them and he taught them how to hit the mark every time. But it was part of them questioning and him talking. That's how they grew. In Proverbs, I think it's called steel, sharpening steel. Who's your steel in your life that sharpens you? Lord, today we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this very, very important ingredient called discipleship. We start off today talking about, Lord, how we could hit it and how we could miss it and how we could really propel, supercharge perhaps our walk with you. And that's through discipleship. So God, we can have great dreams and we can have ideas and we can have ideals. But if they're not grounded in discipleship, they can be so vain and empty. When it comes to marriages and keys to marriage and looking after children, the church is such a rich place. Such available people, such willing people who are able to help, not just in a time of need, but all the time. The church is a great, great place. God, I thank you today for your heart to people, the willingness to be discipled, straighten out the question marks in our lives so we can serve you in a, in a greater measure. question today. Who is discipling you?